Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Literacy Podcast. Today, we have an awesome guest. We have Corey Epler from the Nebraska Department of Education. And Melissa, I think he's a beacon of light for (laughs) high quality materials for Nebraska. So Corey, welcome. You are a beacon for everyone out there working in all kinds of state departments, doing their best to get high quality materials. Absolutely. Good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Yeah, we have so many um, people that listen from Nebraska, and we hear so many good things happening in Nebraska, so we're excited to hear all about it today. Yeah, and we should mention that when we had asked uh, during our our Morgan uh, Polikoff uh, standards podcast, we had asked and said, like, we we would love to have someone from, you know, from the state level, and then you had reached out, and we were so grateful that you reached out, so thank you for for inviting yourself to be on the podcast. We're super <laughs> that, grateful. That's how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we love I, it. I, yeah. The timing was really great. Um, as uh, you all were talking about uh, Morgan's book and um, our staff had actually just been uh, working through a, a book study with the book. So when you kind of did your call of, Hey, are there any state leaders out there who um, are thinking about um, this this work similarly? Let us know. So I'm I'm really happy that um, I'm able to join your conversation today. That's awesome, <clears throat> Corey. I think it would be great to start by talking a little bit about um, Morgan Polikoff's book. And I mean, for for some of our listeners who may not have listened to that episode, maybe give a little recap of like what made you all want to read that book, what you learned from that book, how you use that book, anything you want to share. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because um, we spend a lot of time talking about standards, and we know that standards are important to guiding instruction. And uh, over the last several years, the Nebraska Department of the Nebraska Department of Education has really continued to evolve in our thinking about the place of standards in improving teaching and learning, um, because I think a lot of times we start and stop with the standards at the state level. Um, But what we've really been trying to do is to be more intentional about how we support um, the implementation of the standards, but then what are all the parts and pieces that actually guide instruction outside of uh, state standards. And um, it was actually my math education specialist had uh, participated in a, a book study using Morgan's book. And uh, she suggested it for me to take a look at it. And as I read the book, I started thinking more about the journey that Nebraska has taken to improve not only standards, but also to expand access to high quality instructional materials and high quality professional learning. So it, it really mirrored the journey that we have been taking over the last four or five years. But I think it also um, really helps us think more clearly about how at the state level we can actually inform and improve teaching and learning in our classrooms across the state. So standards are one part of that, but there's so much more work I think that not only states can be doing, but districts can be doing um, as well. Yeah, 
I love that. I mean, I don't know that we've actually said the title of his book, which is Beyond Standards, which is exactly what you were just talking about, right? Of You can give standards, but it, that does not mean that there's going to necessarily be success in the classroom because there are so many other things, especially, and we'll talk a lot more about it, but especially when we talk about curriculum, um, that need to be in place in order for there to be success. Well, and, you know, I think it's interesting, too, because the other thing... I, my, my thinking has has shifted over the last couple of years around the the relationship to standards um, and to high quality instructional materials and professional learning. Um, and it, it's I always say that a, an alignment to a standards document is a pretty weak tool when we talk about what should be guiding instruction because many things can be aligned to standards and that is important. I don't want to I don't want to come across as saying alignment to standards is not important, but it can't be the end. And that's really where we've tried to pivot our thinking and saying, yes, we want resources that are aligned to the state standards. But there are so many other pieces that um, come out through a, a set of standards. And we've been talking a lot about the instructional shifts that are represented in revised college and career ready standards. And those aren't sometimes explicit. So when we think about our materials, our resources aligned to standards, the answer might be yes. But beyond that, how are those resources actually reflecting the type of instruction that we want to see in the classroom. So it's been a little bit of a shift for us because I think from a, a classroom teacher's perspective, we just start with that alignment piece, but then we want to take it back up to that 30,000 foot level and say beyond the like list of standards, what are the types of shifts uh, in instruction that, that need to be need to be changing? And we saw that with revised ELA standards uh, about eight years ago, and I, I remember sitting with a, a table of school leaders, and it was about the time that we started doing a text-dependent analysis as part of our assessment, and uh, we just had rolled out um, the standards. It was the first time we were assessing the revised standards, and I remember asking a table of leaders how instruction had changed as a result of the revised standards. And the answer was like, well, we're doing text-dependent analysis. And I'm like, no, how has classroom instruction changed as a result of the revised standards? And that was it. And so it really began to, to tell me that when we think about standards, they are a signal to the type of changes that we want to see happening in a classroom. But again, there are so many connected pieces to it. And that's something that in, in Morgan's book, he really lays out as well. So, you know, not just starting and ending with the standards, but being mindful of all the other connected pieces as well. Okay. So Corey, um, I, oh, Melissa, there's your cat. Uh, every time, uh, you had partnered with, uh, CCSSO. And again, I'm not going to recall the acronym accurately. Okay. I can see the graphic it's council and no, school okay. somewhere in there, but you had mentioned in our pre-call that you partnered with them about five years ago. Um, because, you know, you weren't sure what was being used across the state in order to get to that end goal, right, of coherence and and agency and leadership, autonomy, authority, all those great things that we want to see in our classrooms. And when you ask that question to your leaders, like, how did things change as a result of the standards? And they really struggled to answer. Um, I imagine that your, your partnership then with CCSSO was really valuable and helpful in 
kind of digging deeper and moving forward. Would you be able to talk a little bit about, about that stuff? I think it was right about five years ago where CCSSO, the Council of Chief State School Officers, uh, began working with eight states, I think, as part of an instructional materials and professional development network. And before that even came to came to be, I had the opportunity to travel down to Louisiana and uh, see what was happening in the Louisiana Department of Education around the supports that they provide for instructional materials. And it was really in in that where it kind of clicked for me about the importance of materials in our teaching and learning system. I've always known they were important, but the way that the state there was able to leverage um, and, and be able to curate resources and help folks understand the quality was really um, appealing to me. And so when CCSSO invited uh, the kind of first group of states to participate in this, I was really interested because in Nebraska at that point, we didn't know what was being used in our districts. Um, from the State Department's perspective, we were really pretty hands-off when it came to curriculum and instructional materials. And in fact, I had staff that were like, no, we don't do that. Um, and so we, we knew going in that um, we, we really had a lot of uh, learning to do about, number one, what was being used in the state, um, how are folks uh, making adoption, uh, what are those processes look like, um, and then um, really being able to think more specifically about um, what types of supports we can provide. Um, we are a state that doesn't have an adoption list, so schools can use whatever they want to use. Um, so we really took it upon us to be able to understand uh, the, the way in which we could provide technical assistance and support. Um, and really the first way is we were able to leverage a, a great partnership with Ed Reports in this too. And Nebraska isn't a common core state, so we wanted to really make sure that Ed Report reviews reflected Nebraska standards. And then it was really a statewide effort to help folks understand uh, the why behind materials and why the state was taking a more active role, why the state was asking districts to tell us what they were using. You know, there was a little bit of fear of, oh my gosh, there's going to be a list. But I think now, five years later, folks understand that what we're doing with this information is sharing it. Um, you know, we, we have uh, an instructional materials map where we can publicly display what districts are using and using it as an opportunity to collaborate um, across districts as well. So, um, and to the coherence piece, I think that's something too, because, you know, we've really spent some time in our agency thinking about coherence across multiple parts of our agency, but even like uh, our multi-tiered systems of support, which rest in our Office of Special Education, but when we talk about improving tier one, core instruction, we want to be talking the same language that our MTSS staff are talking to. And we know that students with disabilities deserve access to high quality instructional materials in a very strong tier one, uh, you know, instructional core. So um, same thing with our multilingual learners. So when we talk about how HQIM can play a role in supporting the coherence that we're working towards, it, it's really kind of, it becomes a no-brainer almost, right? Like, well, why weren't we talking about this 
um, before, but um, it's it's been a, a quite a journey, and, and we're proud of the progress that we've made, recognizing that there's always uh, more work to do in that space as well. That's great. I'm so I have like a million questions, <laughs> but I'm wondering, you you know you said that Nebraska is a state where you know as a state you're still I don't want to say hands off, but kind of like staying hands off, the districts make the choices for what curricular materials they'll have in place. Um, but that you're starting, you you wanted to sort of like shift the mindset around how districts were making those decisions. Can you talk a little bit more about how, like what what did you do? What are you doing to help, help districts make the best decisions they can? <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I heard, I've heard some really, um, kind of crazy stories about how teachers felt that they were uh, asked to participate in a selection process. Like I remember one teacher saying, we were given three textbooks and three hours in a conference room and told <laughs> to come out, what's our curriculum? Um, and that's common, right? I, I even think about my own teaching experience where it was like, okay, here are your three choices. You have two hours, look through all these textbooks. Um, and so what we work to really try to do is to, create guidance around in instructional material selection um, and making that consistent across literacy, mathematics, science, and social studies. Like they, they each have their own nuances, but when we're asking educators to make, um, begin a process of selecting new materials, it's start with an instructional vision. Um, yes, they will be different for each content area, but that kind of uh, first step is what we think everyone should do in all content areas when selecting materials. Um, and so uh, part of our work was number one, like I said, creating that guidance about like, okay, if you're gonna adopt new materials for mathematics, here's the eight steps. And within the eight steps, there might be subsets of this as well. And there's a lot of really awesome resources out there. I mean, Ed Reports has great resources. There's a curriculum support guide from instruction partners that we were able to leverage. When we get into talking about science, there are some really science-specific tools. So what we tried to do was um, curate them in one spot. So if a district calls me um, or I get an email from a teacher who says, hey, we're adopting new materials for science, where do I start? I can point them to our webpage, which is nematerialsmatter.org. And uh, by selecting the content area, you can go to a tab that talks about adoption steps. Um, and what's interesting in this is this conversation around quality materials and how we leverage ed reports. It's one small part of a process. So I think that was something too where um, districts are like wondering how ed reports plays into this. And we use it as a tool in our guidance for um, selection processes. So, um, you know, all greens on ed reports are not created equal. Um, I'm also really um, uh, intentional about saying that something is green on ed reports. It's green on ed reports. I'm not saying green on ed reports means that it's high quality. And, and I've talked with the CEO, Eric, of ed reports and, uh, about that as well, because it doesn't take into consideration the cultural relevance of materials uh, or how we've engaged with families um, and a community. So we want the tools and resources to be useful to districts um, and then guide them in how they um, can narrow choices and, and ultimately pick materials that are best for their students, for their families, and for their communities. Corey, I love that you basically 
created a high quality resource list for your LEAs to select high quality materials. Like instead of them having to source that good, you know, quality stuff and then work in silos, you created a way for them to be connected throughout the state and, you know, maybe connect with each other. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm using this from any materials matter. And I found this to be really helpful. Like I imagine that created a lot of collaboration or at least communication. Do you have any examples of that or stories to share that you might be able to elevate? Yeah, and we're really lucky here in Nebraska. We have a set of regional educational service units. Um, We have 17 across the state, and our ESUs provide some of that support more directly than our agency does. So part of our efforts were really about how we can also support and connect our ESUs. So um, Nebraska's uh, eight hours from east to west if you're in a car. Um, So it's pretty geographically large. And so when you think about uh, if we have a district in western Nebraska using wit and wisdom, how can we connect them with another district in northeast Nebraska that wants to use wit and wisdom? Um, And in many instances, it's through the ESUs that are able to do that. But often it's just really making sure that those um, districts know um, that others are out there in similar similar positions. Um, You know, I would get questions about who's using Eureka Math. And prior to our work in this space, I couldn't tell you. Um, And it's uh, because districts wanted to hear the stories of educators that are using these resources. Um, They wanted to hear the the successes or the challenges of implementation. And so I think by being able to um, connect, again, not only our districts, but our ESUs, um, they're able to, um, you know, uh, expand the collaboration that might exist. Um, and now with so many things happening virtually over the last two years, I think that's another really uh, great success uh, as well. And we've tried to highlight some of those districts on our website that have adopted. And I mean, we haven't even talked about implementation, right? Because that's where like the real uh, work <laughs> really begins. Um, but just making sure districts know that they can connect with each other. Great. I have a question that you you might not want to answer. So if you don't, say. <laughs> no, I just was thinking about, I mean, there are still so many districts out there who are using curricula that are on ed reports that are not even green, right? You just said like, even the greens, some of them aren't great, right? And we have a ton of districts, even here in Maryland, who are using ones that are red. My daughters. Um, my, I, I won't say be... it. I can't say it enough. Yeah. My daughter's district. <laughs> <laughs> we are failing the children here. So <laughs> always yeah. in my head because of Lori. Um, but I'm just wondering, you don't have to like say if there are districts in Nebraska that are using those, but I'm wondering, like, what, what do you do if a district is, you know, wants to continue with uh, one that's all red or is to try adopting one that's not green like what what happens in Nebraska (laughs) well I think part of what we continue to do is to really try to educate not only school leaders but teachers and I, I can't say it enough that the power teachers voices have in this process in advocating for higher quality materials and what I found interesting is, is we have a, had a couple of projects where we were supporting some adaptation of materials that were yellow on ed reports. And what was fascinating to me is that the educators already knew where the gaps existed. Um, and so when we had everyone collectively in a room, 
Um, it wasn't a surprise. Um, it was the places where they're going to supplement. Um, and so, uh, you know, being able to um, leverage that time and energy uh, in a more efficient way w was really important. I think as we think about, um, and again, I'm going to mention Ed Reports, They've, they're just a tremendous partner for us. What I try to get district leaders and teachers to do is to read the reports, first of all, and not just look at the green, yellow, or red. There are some uh, really good yellow rated materials on Ed Reports as well. Um, and so part of my conversations, if a district is picking something that's yellow on Ed Reports, is do they understand where the gaps exist? And that's really been clear in science lately, where especially on the assessment of three-dimensional learning for science, that's where some of the materials have fallen short. And so when a school leader can speak to that and then already be able to identify how they're going to supplement that, um, that's really important. Um, the other piece too, and I've, I've, I have had conversations with district, uh, districts who are using something that's red and teachers may like it. Um, they may have had uh, great luck on it from an assessment perspective. My conversation then shifts more into subgroups, and excuse me, student groups, because if, if a, a, a leader might say, we've been using something that's red and we're having great results um, on assessment. My question then is like, what's happening in your student groups? Um, what do we know about students with disabilities or uh, multilingual learners, economically disadvantaged students or students of color? Because I suspect that those student groups are the ones that are most impacted when we're using materials that fall short. And so while the big picture may look okay, um, that's again where I, I really start to push folks thinking a little bit about, um, you know, HQIM for all means for all. Um, and uh, that, that sometimes can uh, influence a, a decision, but again, at the end of the day, um, uh, the districts that are adopting something that um, isn't green on Ed Reports, they understand that they may have to um, support some of the, the supplements that are needed. We did put, I will say this, one of the things that we did add to our requirement around ESSER 3 funds, because I know that many schools are having access to the federal funds from the pandemic, is we said if they were purchasing um, instructional materials that they needed to be high quality. Um, and we've been supporting districts um, in that. And so I think we're just going to continue to see a lot of districts over the next year here in our state jumping to higher quality materials, which is really exciting. I'm totally distracted scrolling through the website right now. You've put together some really good stuff. So good, great work there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I looked at that map for a really long time. I was, so <laughs> I was like, I want to see this like for the entire United States. Of, yeah. like, what, what districts are using which curricula. It's just fascinating just to see even just to like see what people yeah. are using. Melissa, can you verbally explain the map for those listening? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, it's just you, you could I, I was doing it by curriculum. So I don't know if there are other ways to do it. But you know, I could I could choose the different curriculum and just see which districts in Nebraska were using it. And so I, I mean, I just thought it was cool to see like the number of, of districts that are using it. And then I could start to see like, if I was that district, I could then see <laughs> which districts I, I see it on Facebook a lot where the you know, people will say, are there any districts near me that are using Wit yeah. and Wisdom so I can come see it, <laughs> right? And I, I could see that they could they could see that so easily, which it's funny. Like, I mean, 
Lori and I worked at Baltimore City, the the district. Lori worked at the state level. And like right now, we don't know what is being taught in the different districts in Maryland. Like we'd have to go to each district separately to ask, which is funny. And it's such a like powerful tool for collaboration. And I'll say I also have gotten calls from parents, you know, um, where they're uh, the district may not have anything on there, and and this is a self-reported data collection. So, you know, the or a superintendent will say, "Hey, our information isn't current." I'm like, "Don't forget to update it, and then we can make sure it's current on the map." But, yeah. you know, when a when one of our regional service unit staff developers may call me because they're supporting districts who, you know, are down to like two or three, and they're like, "Can you help me find districts that are using?" wonders 2020 and i i have it in excel spreadsheet but i'm also like don't forget about the map because you can actually <laughs> do that so yeah we can search by the type of materials literacy math science we can search by district um and it is kind of fun just to see over three years how things have have shifted also yeah. i love that you know even as a parent i imagine that i just it's so transparent and honest and it builds trust immediately like you know from a parent from it as i if i were a teacher, I would just feel so empowered. Um, it reminds me of of our recent podcast that we launched with uh, Lacey Robinson and Andrea Hancock from Unbound Ed. And they were talking about the empowerment of teachers and how teachers you know, should feel empowered to lead from their seat. This would bring me so much empowerment as a teacher to be able to reach out to other teachers and other places, um, even within you know my district. But I think it also really helps that that need that teachers have. And I think we all do to connect with others outside of our area. Like what is happening elsewhere out of these four walls of my classroom or my school or my district. And I just, I love this. This is, this is exciting and you should trademark it. (laughs) I I appreciate it. Well, the other thing, Lori, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about, we have so many small rural schools in Nebraska and it might be one teacher that is the entire department. <laughs> so, you know, thinking about, too, how we can, uh, and we ask that teacher to lead a selection process for new literacy materials. And, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, where do I even start? Or what if it's a, a, a beginning teacher who's in, like, you know, their third or fourth year of teaching? And so to your point about empowering teachers, I, I, I hope that educators could say, I could build a selection process um, and really, you know, create something that's comprehensive, that engages educators and families and our community in this um, and that, that everyone can feel feel confident in. That, that was our goal. Um, so I, I really appreciate um, the, the shout out on that. How many districts are there in Nebraska? We have 244 public districts. So, um, yeah, our largest district is the Omaha Public Schools with over 53,000 kids K through 12. And then we have some districts that have 100 kids K through 12. So, again, you think about the variability um, of of districts. Um, But our our goal is just to create supports that can be used across any size um, and not only resources that our school leader facing, but also our educator facing too. Because I, again, I mentioned it before, educators do have a lot of power um, and voice. We want them to have voice in this this resource as well, because they're the ones spending so much time supplementing materials um, that, that aren't high quality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just makes so much sense, like, 
to, to have the teachers know what what's happening, why they are making these changes, and have that voice. Because if you all came in as Nebraska and just said, these are the two curriculum that you can use, done and done, you know that's not going to go over well. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have worked. It would be like trying, trying to get and a kid dressed for school in the morning. You get to choose from one of these two, and inevitably they do not want to wear one of those two outfits. Right? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Well, and I also say, like, I don't think it should yeah. work for us in this state, you know, because our communities yeah. are so different. And yeah. the thing that I think is important is the materials market improves, like the materials are so different. And so what I love is hearing our our leaders and our ESU leaders becoming experts in, in these different sets of materials. And then they can tell you um, the differences between them as well. And I think that's what a comprehensive selection process does. It helps folks really understand the materials that are um, available to them. Um, and then again, selecting the ones that um, make make the most sense for their community. And that's reflected on our map. You know, I would say like for literacy, when we talk things that are green on ed reports, we might have eight to 10 in the state. And that's awesome. It creates challenges when we talk about professional learning. Um, but I'm really excited that we have that many that um, are being leveraged in the state. And same for same for mathematics and um, and science as well. Yeah. So when you think about how you did that, like how you helped tr- to transition this mindset, I know that you used Beyond Standards, the book um, that we were talking about earlier. Can you share a little bit about what that looked like? Um, how did you use that book? What did, you know, what did everyone learn from the book that you feel like was really important that they could take with them then back into their, their districts? I, for us, I think it shifted the conversation from just around standards to implementation. And um, one of the things that we've worked to do as we revise standards is really create clear implementation plans um, that are built over several years. And so, um, you know, I think about districts as the state is revising standards, a district should also have a really clear implementation plan um, that includes a determination of if their instructional materials are going to be reflected in the revised standards. Um, so I think my staff, as we were reading it, you know, because we're the standards people, right? Like that's what we work on. So we're like, yeah, we, we feel really confident about the, the rigor and quality of our standards not perfect, let me say, um, but they are they are pretty good. And so when we uh, shifted from just thinking about standards to really thinking more thoughtfully about supporting implementation of revised standards, and I think that's what the Beyond Standards book really did for us. Number one, it confirmed our thinking, um, but it also helped us think a little bit about some of the other pieces that we've started to kind of think about, but aren't quite there yet. Um, For example, the assessment conversation, um, and not only summative assessment, but curriculum embedded assessments and how we can leverage those. So, um, you know, that's a really important part. And the professional learning piece, um, there has to be clear support for teachers and leaders when new materials are being implemented. Um, and the professional learning has to be material specific. Um, you know, we hear a lot about, oh, come teachers, you get two days at the beginning of school and we're going to get into these materials and then you get to go teach. That isn't <laughs> enough. And that's too where I think teachers have voice in saying, 
Um, we need more professional learning that actually helps us um, implement these materials as they're intended, that shifts the observation protocols that districts are using. You know, like what do those walkthrough tools look like? How are they material um, specific as well? So I, I think that's where our, our head is thinking at the state level. But then again, that, that's uh, what we're seeing happening with our service units um, and how they're supporting our districts and schools as well. So I was actually, that was my next question was like, what are, what's next? <laughs> what's next in Nebraska? <laughs> so it sounds like a little bit of a shift to talking about professional learning. And I, if you're okay with it, Corey, would love to hear a little bit more around the assessments and what you all are thinking around those. For sure. Yeah. What's next? Uh, well, so the standards train uh, continues to move forward here in our mm -hmm. state as we're um, in the throes of revising mathematics. Um, and what we did for our revised ELA standards that were just approved last year is we built out turnkey professional learning resources um, for implementation. Um, the other thing that I noticed is uh, I'm going to put rollout in air quotes. Folks might not see my air quotes, <laughs> but here they are. Um, so when standards are rolled out, um, I noticed it was very different from district to district or ESU to ESU. So we worked to try to create some efficiencies. And we developed four turnkey modules that um, a district could customize for their teachers, but really allowed us to be really clear about um, the instructional shifts, um, the connection to high quality instructional materials, um, and even the kind of nuts and bolts of what's different from one version to um, the current version. We're taking that same approach with mathematics um, and creating turn turnkey rollout resources that a, a district or ESU would be able to use. Um, and then we're also in the, the middle of, well, let's not forget it, we've been in a pandemic for two years and uh, <laughs> trying to support schools in that way, but also trying to move forward um, with um, innovative changes that we had um, you know, been, been working on. Yeah. Our, Biggest one right now is around a summative assessment model that takes more of an interim approach instead of a summative test at the end. And that's something that Morgan talked about with you all on the podcast, but also in the book about, um, you know, trying to create assessment that's more instructionally useful um, and can get teachers data back more quickly. Um, so we're in the middle of shifting towards that. Um, we're calling it a through-year model. So basically next school year, um, our summative assessment will be three interim assessments, fall, winter, and spring, of which we can get a summative um, score and districts will not have to take that summative um, at the end of the school year. It's very similar. We have a lot of districts using map growth and so it's very similar to that um, kind of uh, thought and, and the interim model. So um, beyond that, I, I hope we continue to think about building out curriculum specific assessment resources. Um, and our science uh, specialist has been doing some of that with Amplify Science. And it's exciting to see how we can uh, create assessments that are curriculum specific um, it's just so much easier for teachers to pick up and use when they see how it fits right into the unit that they're teaching um, yeah. and, and uh, you know, makes their lives a little bit easier, we hope. And so much yeah. more meaningful, right? Instead of the like, well, we have to take this test for Nebraska for no mm -hmm. reason, <laughs> right? There's some like, like 
this is going to actually assess what we've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's tough because, you know, the, and the other thing that it doesn't even take into account is there are some actually really great assessments embedded in these materials in HQIM. Mm -hmm. And we hear that on the, the K3 literacy side quite a bit, right? Where uh, we have a, a reading law in place and districts are like, well, we actually think the, you know, curriculum embedded ass assessments are better than the universal screener that we're using. And so it's forced some really interesting conversations about, um, hmm, that's, that's actually a really great point. So um, how many times are we assessing students um, in grades K through three and what are they using for materials? And could we just leverage those really strong assessments and strong foundational skills programs? Um, but uh, it, it speaks to just this mindset of let's be efficient um, let's support close to the classroom as we possibly can and really continue to give teachers data that's most instructional, uh, instructionally useful, useful. Yeah. I'm in thinking about the assessments, I'm imagining that teachers, you know, you're, you're continuing again to build that empowerment for teachers by providing them with something that they can use right away. But I also, you know, I don't know, in like a beautiful world, I imagine this trickling down to the students and the students feeling like, Oh, this is feels so much better to take a, a shorter assessment that is connected to what I'm doing. And then, you know, rather than I should say rather than one assessment in the spring, that's like three days long, there's no talking, you're, you're, you know, you're, there's so much pressure. Uh, I, and it's, it's just not, again, not usable for anyone versus these little assessments that are um, assessing smaller chunks of information um, or smaller topics. And then, and it's connected to what they're doing and everybody can use it and the kids can feel empowered and, and just excited because they know, you know, some of the content or they, they feel like, oh, okay, this isn't overwhelming, right? Um, it's manageable. And then they're using it. They're seeing their teachers using the data from this. And it, it just feels so much better all around that, you know, I, <laughs> Reflectively, I wonder how we got to the other way. You know, <laughs> I'm sure lots of things. Went yeah, we, we hope we hope it is. And because I even think, I mean, this idea of can assessment not be a big event? Yeah. And what I mean by that is I see in the totally. spring there are assemblies and all <laughs> yes. of that. And I, I understand, uh, you know, the mindset behind it. But I think what we'd love to get to is where assessment's just part of like teaching and learning and that we get data back um, in a manner that's useful to um, teachers. And to your point too, Lori, I'm thinking about families, like helping families understand um, the data and what that means and uh, the trajectory that students are on. Um, and again, our, our system isn't perfect. Um, we're, we're still working uh, you know, through some of the challenges of implementing something new. Um, but I think in the in the long term, this idea of shorter assessments that are more frequent that we can actually use for accountability requirements for state and federal is where we're going to start to see other states um, go as well. We know there's a lot of states that are having similar conversations also. So exciting. We're, we, you'll have to come back on once that happens and okay. give, us, <laughs> give us a little a rundown of what has happened, you know, in your state since then. Happy that would to. be so cool. Thank you. Happy to. Yeah. Well, Corey, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to brag about that Nebraska's doing or? <laughs> you no, know, it, it sounds, um, you know, uh, 
cliche, but I, I just have been really proud to be a part of the work with our teachers and our leaders in the state. Um, because I, I think um, we, we've seen really um, great momentum. Um, as we look at our data, because we, we have the data, you know, we've increased the number of students that have access to high quality instructional materials significantly. And I would say even uh, more importantly, expanded access for students of color, economically disadvantaged um, students as well. And, and that's really exciting because often um, student groups that are historically underserved don't even get that as a starting point. And so, um, and I, I, I also say that HQIM is the floor, right? Like that's what we want to be like the, the starting point. There's so much more. Um, and if we can, you know, get a baseline that um, is serving uh, more students, that's fantastic. Um, but we're always in a, the mindset of uh, there's still more important work to be done. We can still always be better um, and continue to learn and support our schools and districts. Um, that's that's really uh, my my hope and the the staff that I get to to work with and lead as well. Corey, I feel like one of the things you mentioned in the pre-call is um, the Louisiana mantra. I guess maybe it's not their public mantra, but um, it resonated resonated with you uh, when you took some uh, time to spend, you know, when you spent some time with them and learned from them and with them. uh, Make the best choice the easiest choice. I'd love to just hear your your thoughts on that as we come to the close of this podcast. It it makes sense. And and I think the, the work that's happening um, uh, in districts right now, there, there's so much hard work that's happening. And so if we can make, um, districts lives easier by helping them, um, you know, make choices that aren't as complex and aren't as hard, um, because navigating materials and publishers is complex. Um, and if, a district doesn't have to start with 12 sets of resources to look through in a materials process and they can do a deep dive into two or three. Um, you know, that's what we want to do. So it's like, how can we make um, the best choice, the easiest choice uh, for our districts and support them along the way and make sure that the choices they make truly are reflective of uh, the, the communities that they um, are serving. So yeah, that was a really kind of powerful statement that I, I've heard those in Louisiana say and others in other states that are engaged in this work um, kind of adopting as well. So we, we hope we're, we're doing that and, uh, you know, excited about uh, the work moving forward, too. That's great. Thank you for that. And I think we're coming to a close, yeah. Melissa, right? I know it's time. <laughs> no, well, thank you so fun. much, Corey, for sharing all the amazing things that you all are doing in Nebraska and your districts are doing. Um, we always ask our guests before we leave to leave a piece of advice for the audience. So we'd love to hear what you have for us. My advice is always ask for help. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out to others that are um, in a position that can offer advice, advice or support. And, you know, I think whether you're a teacher or a leader is that there somewhere are, are people that have uh, went down the similar path that you have. And so if you're sitting there and stuck and confused and you're not sure what to do, send an email, (laughs) Uh, pick up the phone and call, because there are a lot of us that have uh, been doing uh, work in this space. And at the end of the day, we're we're all in it to help 
students and to support teachers. So just ask for help. Um, there's so many great resources out there. Don't reinvent the wheel. Um, it doesn't need to be reinvented. So that, that would be my advice to, to those kind of starting uh, in this, this space. That's good advice. Yeah, Great we're, con we're, I'll we're take constantly asking too, for help. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Corey. Thank you. This appreciate you reaching yeah. out to us. Absolutely. This is Great to hear everything yeah. you're doing. Well, thanks for all you're doing to elevate these conversations. Yeah, as well. thank you. And we'll we'll uh, keep Nebraska top of mind. I know they're they're pretty popular in our in our Facebook group, and they're very active on social media um, in general, elevating all the good things that are happening in your state. So we won't forget about you. We'll invite you to come back again. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you both. Thank you, Corey. Thanks for listening, Literacy Lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content. We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience, too. Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast Facebook group. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If the content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us.